Hey everybody, it is Friday, May 31st, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisledike, and, uh, well, we're here to talk about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode of the show, we've got some interesting, maybe not necessarily completely interesting news about crossovers. Once again, GM announced two new small crossovers that are going to be coming to the U.S. potentially as early as the end of this year. Uh, We also have some news from GM about two new Cadillacs. Uh, They're going to be joining the fray. That'll be the CT5V and the CT4V. The CT4 of which is a brand new car announcement uh, that they're announcing the sport version of first and then they'll add the later model information after the fact. Also, the big news story I think to kind of consider that I've been thinking on for the past few days, the merger potential of Fiat Chrysler Automotive and the Renault Nissan Alliance kind of coming together and forming this uh, automotive powerhouse worldwide. There's a lot of ramifications that come with this. There's a lot of ins and outs when it comes to what could happen with French cars coming to the U.S. in the not-too-distant future. Uh, And there's definitely some thoughts I have, at least in regard to Peugeot potentially having been a partner at one point in time with Fiat Chrysler, and uh, whether or not this works out to be a good deal or not for both sides. So, all that and more after the bump, we'll start off with some small crossover news. So to kick things off in the news segment, we'll talk about two new crossovers that uh, were announced by GM earlier this week, two of which that we've kind of sort of known about in different capacities uh, with still a lot of details to come. The first of which is the new Buick Encore GX. Uh, The new Encore GX was announced at the Shanghai Auto Show just a few short weeks ago, and uh, we've just got a few more details for the North American market. Uh, But the gist of this vehicle is that it will not arrive until sometime in 2020. Um, It hasn't been specified if it's going to be built and exported to the U.S. from China or if it will be built here and exported around the world. That being said, this Buick Encore GX sits somewhere in between the size of the Encore and the Envision, being give or take around the size of a Jeep Compass. That is a pretty interesting size segment for Buick to go into, simply because they don't have a vehicle quite in that range of sizes. Uh, But it also stacks this vehicle up against a few other small luxury crossovers that I think might make the Buick a very compelling argument against those other ones. I'm thinking of the Mazda CX-5 on the low end. Uh, The Buick might be a little bit smaller than that, but I think the more modern touches in this vehicle are going to make it uh, a very clear competitor. Uh, The Mercedes GLA would be another competitor that, you know, I think has some good ideas, but maybe not the best execution, uh, as well as the all-new BMW X1, uh, a small crossover that I actually like quite a bit, weirdly enough. Uh, Now, the Buick will very much be cheaper than most of those, perhaps with exception to the Mazda. Uh, Car and Driver's taking a stab at it and guessing this thing's going to start somewhere around $22,000 to $26,000, which does make it 
pretty much the same price as the current Encore. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the best kind of starting point to go for, but you know that would be a base model with front-wheel drive, uh, not a lot of luxury appointments. But give or take, I think if you expect to pay around thirty to thirty-two thousand dollars for this, uh, I think you're going to be getting a pretty good deal. Uh, this crossover looks absolutely fantastic, I think, from the outside. Uh, it incorporates a lot of the new modern Buick design touches that I think have been pulled off really well, not only with the Regal, with the dearly departed LaCrosse. Uh, they, they just look really fantastic, and I'm excited to see it in a format that seems to be treating it pretty well. Uh, the interior deployments are clean and elegant, Maybe a little too much piano black in a couple of spots, uh, but that's just the luxury game these days. Uh, but really, I think the main thing with the Buick is going to be the amount of standard equipment that it has compared to some of its competitors uh, is really going to stack it uh, in a way that I think uh, makes it a good choice against some other small crossovers in this segment. Uh, as far as powertrain things goes, GM is saying that it's going to be more powerful than the outgoing Encore. Uh, more than likely, it's going to have some riff on the 1.4 liter turbo that's currently being used. That being said, that engine is about a decade old at this point, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a small capacity bump uh, with the vehicle, probably to 1.6 or 1.8 liters. Uh, power output probably is going to jump from somewhere around 140 to probably about 160, 170 horsepower. That seems like that would make a lot of sense to me, uh, especially competing against the CX-5 to some extent. And really, you know, I think... Fuel economy is going to be something that's going to have to be considered. All-wheel drive performance isn't going to be the name of the game, but I think it's going to have a fairly robust system in it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think this is really a strong showing from GM. And really knowing that it's coming from GM of China, uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting aspect to this vehicle as well. Now, on the flip side, the American engineers and designers put together the all-new Chevy Trailblazer. Uh, that new Trailblazer will be coming out at roughly the same time as the Encore GX in 2020. Uh, they will be sharing platforms and powertrains. And really, the main thing to take away from this new Trailblazer is that it is uh, taking some of the styling cues from the larger Blazer uh, and kind of filtering it down again to a vehicle size that is in between the Trax and the Equinox putting it, again, roughly around the size of the Compass, but I think the Chevy mm, doesn't quite come together in the way that the new Encore GX does. Uh, the front end, I do think, looks pretty good. Uh, filtering that Blazer styling stuff, basically the Camaro styling cues, uh, into the smaller crossover, I think carries itself over pretty well but it's the overall boxy shape of the vehicle. Uh, this thing's got much more upright sides and a much more squared off profile that doesn't translate well with those Camaro-inspired styling cues. Um, it's not to say that it's ugly. It's not to say that it doesn't work at all. It just doesn't seem quite right. And I do have to wonder to some extent if this is a vehicle that you do need to see in person to get a much better feel for how it looks. Uh, in the photos that Chevy had posted, it is an RS model uh, in this uh, victory red color. It looks okay. Like, I don't, I don't know. It might be something that might look better in a brighter color in a non-RS trim. 
And that RS trim, of course, is always going to be a little more aggressive with some of the styling cues. Uh, what is curious to me is that Chevrolet, Chevrolet is not showing off photos from the rear of the vehicle, only the front three quarters and the interior shot. And uh, that does have me a little concerned for the back because I don't think that's quite as successful of a rear end on the new Blazer. And that really has me concerned for the back end on the new Trailblazer. All of that considered, the interior is, you know, kind of a mishmash of different ideas from GM's parts catalog, in the same way that the Blazer is. Uh, having been in a Blazer in two different trim levels, uh, I have to say that as much as I like the look of the RS on the exterior, on the interior it's nice, but it's really uneven in terms of like trim quality. And on lower trim levels that balances out a little bit more, but it becomes even more evident how cheap the side doors are, how cheap the rear seats are, um, and it just doesn't pull off all that well. I'm hoping that, this, that the new Trailblazer is a little bit of a better balance in that. Um, but given it's using a lot of all-new GM bits and bobs from cars like the Malibu, the Camaro, so on and so forth, I think it might have a little bit more of a successful interior uh, deployment. And when that price point is going to be somewhere around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to start, I think I'm much more willing to swallow some of the interior quality uh, issues that something like the Blazer has at $50,000 uh, at $25,000 makes a lot more sense. Uh, so when we're going to see them, well, probably in the flesh, I would expect uh, Los Angeles Auto Show. That's going to be November, I guess. Uh, we'll probably start seeing them, and then I'd be willing to bet these will be on sale uh, by springtime next year. Uh, so more details to come as they continue to filter down. I think these are pretty successful overall crossover designs. Uh, the Buick really has me impressed, but the Chevy, I think, has got some work cut out for it, uh, especially when you consider to some extent that this will be going up against the new Ford Escape, uh, the new, uh, well, whatever's going to replace the EcoSport, uh, things like that. I think the Chevy's going to have a tough sale uh, goal ahead, so we'll see what ends up happening. So not to be outdone by Buick and Chevrolet, Cadillac had two sedan announcements, of all things, uh, that happened this week that I think have upset a lot of people for a lot of the wrong reasons, but at the same time, you know, I think really kind of exceeded what I think Cadillac had talked about doing, and I think are actually really smart plays in the marketplace. So the big news, of course, is that Cadillac announced two new sedans. Uh, we've known about the CT5 for a while. The CT4 is all new, and that car is replacing the ATS in the Cadillac lineup. And it will be a little bit smaller than the outgoing ATS overall. Uh, the new CT5V and the CT4V were what were shown off this week. And there's been a lot of hubbub on the internet about whether or not these are true V cars, how Cadillac is messing up the V designation on these cars. And I think really what this comes down to is that I think people are kind of overestimating what V cars have been and they're overestimating what V cars are going to, or excuse me, underestimating what V cars are going to be going forward. Historically speaking, I think the V cars at Cadillac were kind of a happy accident. Uh, the first CTS V was meant to take on the M3 and the E55 in a way that, you know, a car that was slightly smaller than the big cars, uh, but had a lot more overall performance 
really kind of just shocked people that Cadillac could build a car that this was that was that competitive at that point in time. I and mean, these were the dark, dark days of GM's identity in the early 2000s. Later iterations of the CTSV and later the ATSV really took the fight to the Germans in a way that I think even caught the Germans flat-footed uh, in terms of the Cadillacs just being balanced and honed in and knowing how to go through corners and not be super insane performance cars for no particular reason. That being said, also, the later V-Series cars really got pretty wild when it came to outright performance. Uh, the last of the CTSVs had 640 horsepower supercharged V8s. Uh, the ATSVs were uh, touching on 500 horsepower with their twin-turbo V6s. Uh, these, I think, the new CTS, or excuse me, CT5V and CT4V are just kind of extensions, I think, of what the idea of V has been. And, you know, really, I think, show a different direction for what Cadillac wants to do. Uh, really, I think the gist of it is Cadillac wants to have a more nuanced performance lineup like what Audi does. Uh, so that being that the V designation is going to be like the S series models in the Audi lineup. And then there will be some kind of V lineup above that, like the RS models that are a little more limited, a little more special, and have just this more athletic sensibility to them. Uh, there will also still be the V-Sport models. Those will be kind of like the uh, S-Line products at Audi. And uh, I think that kind of lineup just makes sense. Given that sedans are becoming less popular, they're becoming more of a niche segment of vehicles, uh, Cadillac is going to do what they can do to make as much money as possible with each car, while at the same time catering to a much wider audience to hope to sell a lot more vehicles. Again, I think this is a very smart approach. So the CT5V is going to use that 3-liter twin-turbocharged V6 uh, from the ATS-V. Uh, I think it's the same unit, actually. Uh, that car is going to produce about 355 horsepower, which is down compared to previous iterations of V-cars. Uh, but Cadillac is saying it's going to be a very well-balanced performance machine. Uh, they don't want to overdo it. They don't want to overwhelm people. Again, you know, maybe don't talk about your cars and advertise them that way without telling us what's going to happen after the fact. But, you know, I think it's enough to keep people out of or keep the people who want to buy this car happy because um, the people who were going to buy, you know, a CTSV in the past, this isn't their kind of thing. The new CT4V, on the other hand, does what, well, I asked GM to do uh, last year, and actually I think this is an incredibly interesting car in terms of uh, possibilities within GM going forward. Uh, the CT4V uses the 2.7-liter twin-turbocharged four-cylinder engine from the new Silverado. Uh, in the CT4V, it's going to produce about 320 horsepower. Uh, I don't remember what the torque figure is, but I know in the pickup truck it's a pretty fat number, and uh, I think... You know, this is kind of a different V-car uh, that I just really, 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 really am into. Uh, it being slightly smaller than the outgoing ATS, uh, it likely being a little bit cheaper than the outgoing ATS, uh, I think it really makes a compelling argument for itself against something like the A45 or the M235i or any of those cars like that. Uh, this CT4V with that kind of engine is really going to be designed to 
be a blast down back roads when it needs to be, but it's going to be a highway cruiser and it's going to do, you know, pulls from 50 to 100 miles an hour that just go by at the blink of an eye because of all that torque, because of that, you know, diesel like powertrain in that vehicle. And if the CT4V is as lightweight as what the old ATS was, that thing is going to rip, just rip out of like corners and things like that. It's, it's going to be a cool little car, I think. And it has me incredibly interested, even though the public seems to kind of be turning on these cars altogether. Uh, I think Cadillac made some good choices here. And at least speaking strictly of the CT4, uh, Cadillac is saying that we're going to see a lot more of this car in the not-too-distant future, probably well before the November uh, Los Angeles Auto Show. Uh, but uh, I think this car, if it uses even a detuned version of that engine uh, as the more upper-trim model within their lineup, uh, I, I just I think that is such a smart choice. And I hope Cadillac makes a wagon version because that is going to be the perfect car for me in the not-too-distant distant future. So last up, and a good bit more of a prolonged thing to talk about, is the potential merger between Fiat Chrysler Automotive and the, well, I guess it's the Renault-Nissan alliance that includes Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi. Now, the news had broken on this deal just before Memorial Day weekend kicked off, and then on Monday, Memorial Day here in the U.S., uh, more details of this merger uh, kind of were discussed and uh, talked about. There's still a lot of weird ins and outs with this whole deal, and uh, I think we're not going to know what's going to happen with this for probably a good little while, uh, because there are some pretty big pitfalls in the way for this to actually come through and happen. Uh, first things first, you know, just some kind of stuff that's going on with Renault. Uh, Renault, of course, is the, I think they are technically the largest French automaker in France, if not that they're the second largest behind Peugeot and Citroën, that's PSA. Uh, Renault has been in a partnership with Nissan for what feels like my entire life. I think it was the early 90s when the two companies joined together uh, under the leadership of Carlos Goshen. Uh, Carlos Goshen uh, really was a brilliant leader for these two companies to bring them together to reduce uh, parts costs, design, engineering, and other things. And the two car companies have benefited significantly from being tied up together, even though in actuality, neither company owns that much of one another and they just end up just working together because the same guy was the CEO at both companies. Uh, those two companies had brought in Mitsubishi after all of their... Whew, tumultuous uh, last couple of years. Uh, and Mitsubishi has also benefited significantly from this partnership, uh, helping to grow sales and uh, marketing and so much else uh, within this little partnership. And uh, we were beginning to start to see more and more of the fruits of their labor. And I think we were seeing Nissan and Renault becoming much more closely aligned uh, as uh, things continue to move into the EV space where Nissan had spent a lot of time, money, and energy. Uh, and, you know, you were starting to see a lot more of Nissan's SUVs pop up as Renault's. All in all, you know, a partnership that I think worked really well. But when Gosen got, a, well, indicted for a lot of different crimes in Japan for stealing money from Nissan, 
and many other things. Uh, this is a partnership that's kind of fallen apart. Uh, Renault was saying that, you know, they didn't really know if having Nissan on anymore helped them out that much. They were saying that they don't know if they really need Mitsubishi either. Uh, it's been a mess. And a part of that comes from, you know, Renault being uh, controlled uh, by a family that's been doing this uh, for really a long time. Uh, also, the French government is a major, major shareholder in Renault. And they were saying, you know, maybe we need to do this ourselves going forward. And uh, Nissan hasn't exactly been in the uh, most calm of waters either. Uh, they lost a very important figurehead within the company and they, you know, were relying on Renault for some other things. And yeah, it, it's really a huge mess right now uh, within this company. And they're not in a super good scenario when it comes to being cost effective and, you know, sharing on development costs and so on and so forth. And uh, I think looking for a partner for them is really going to bail them out in the near term. Whereas on the flip side, Fiat Chrysler hasn't exactly had the best two years. Uh, Sergio Marchionne, uh, for all of his brilliance, uh, sadly did pass away recently with complications after having a surgery. Uh, it was really shocking and really sad to have seen him gone. And his leadership at Fiat had really grown the company in a way that seemed almost unsustainable. Uh, they had exploded in popularity in Europe, and then all of their sales went away again, and uh, they had to sell off, you know, uh, their parts supply companies, now Mopar is their big parts thing within uh, the whole of Fiat Chrysler. Their American operations are doing quite well. Europe is not. Uh, you've got Ram and Jeep basically keeping the company afloat, but even small decreases in sales this year haven't exactly helped that scenario because, once again, they're dependent too much on one particular company uh, to keep them solvent. And as such, Fiat Chrysler has been talking for years and years and years under the leadership of Marchionne and now the new CEO whose name I cannot remember. Uh, they're talking about how they need to control parts costs, they need to control R&D costs, they need to control supply costs, and uh, they've been looking for a partner for quite some time. PSA, Peugeot Citroën, uh, they apparently had been in talks with Fiat Chrysler for a merger uh, for a little while now. Peugeot Citroën uh, owns Peugeot Citroën DS as well as Opel and Vauxhall, which they recently acquired from General Motors. Uh, those, those companies uh, have been doing really well. PSA had a huge year last year. Uh, they made a ton of money, and I think where I kind of got at with that story is it sounded more like PSA was acquiring Fiat Chrysler, which isn't exactly what I think a lot of people wanted. And in this current political climate uh, where, you know, we have a president that's very anti-Europe, uh, very anti, you know, any kind of international cooperation on anything, uh, it probably wouldn't have been a feasible purchase. On the flip side now, again, going back to Fiat Chrysler and the Renault Alliance, uh, it sounds like it would be a merger basically to save one another. Uh, not to say that Renault is in bad shape or Fiat Chrysler is in dire straits, uh, but the, the two working together uh, would probably have some much more beneficial ways in which to design, engineer, build, manufacture, you know, send cars to different places. Uh, it just seems to make a little more sense. 
I am a little disappointed overall not getting PSA. I definitely think that they are the superior French automobile company out of the two uh, main big ones. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's tough to say whether or not this is the best thing because I go, what is Renault going to get out of Fiat Chrysler? I think the big thing out of that partnership with between Renault and Nissan would be truck and crossover platforms uh, by which to redevelop some of their products in their lineup, whether or not the American design crossovers are going to be the best options for vehicles in Japan and Europe. Uh, Probably not, but again, if you don't have to spend all this time and money developing these new powertrains, these new chassis, uh, I, do, I do think it does make a lot more sense. On the flip side, what is Fiat Chrysler gaining from this partnership? Well, they've got a much bigger parts bin to pull out of for other uh, vehicles in their lineup. Uh, it gives Fiat Chrysler a chance to have small cars in their lineup. Uh, but really, I think the biggest thing overall overarching uh, would be the fuel uh, savings, the carbon emission savings uh, that these two companies would have together. Renault and Nissan and Mitsubishi have invested heavily in green car technologies, in particular uh, hybrids and EVs, while Fiat Chrysler generally hasn't. And as such, Fiat Chrysler has partnered with Tesla, at least in Europe, to save themselves from uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in fines and other things and it's a tie-up that's really going to help them benefit from having their higher co2 output vehicles like jeeps and rams uh over there versus you know maybe if they're doing it in-house they don't have to pay tesla that kind of money and that might help them in the long run until they are able to integrate more of nissan and renault's technology into their own vehicles uh to make a much better greener footprint uh here in north america and in the rest of the world I think the other interesting thing out of this is, you know, whether or not we're going to see French cars in the U.S. This has been an ongoing thing. It sounds like in order to grow market share, not just in Europe, but all over the world, the French car companies need to come back to North America. And while they do offer vehicles in Mexico, they do not sell their cars in Canada or the United States. And there seems to be some demand from the public to have these separate options made available to them. Uh, Renault has not sold cars in the U.S., I think, since 1990. 90-ish, maybe it was the late 80s. Uh, Renault was the former owner of Jeep and Eagle, and they had sold a lot of interesting French cars in the U.S. up until then. Uh, whether or not that was a successful endeavor, uh, I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. They, they, they left the United States with their tail between their legs. Uh, but having a small French car in the U.S. again, I think, is a very interesting prospect, especially when so many American car companies are getting out of that game. And I think there's still a market out there for cheap, small, economical cars. Because as soon as gas hits $4 a gallon, you can bet your ass that people are going to be knocking on every brand's door asking for small cars that are going to be in that space. Now, are we going to get the good French cars if this does happen? I would say that's probably a pretty hearty no. Um, I wouldn't expect too many French cars to cross over. Perhaps maybe 
the Alpine A110 might be something that happens, uh, especially when Alfa Romeo is, seems to be getting rid of the 4C. That would be something that I could see coming to the U.S. Uh, eventually at some point. Uh, at the same time, you know, I don't think we're going to see the Clio here as much as that breaks my heart. Uh, I would love to see the Twingo come to the U.S., but again, I don't really see that happening as Nissan has some products that can kind of already kind of fit in that little spot. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, I think we've got a lot of legal hurdles to get through as well. Whether or not the French government wants to partner up with a car company that, uh, you know, is American and has a lot of European roots, uh, I, I, I don't know if that's going to be something that they approve of. At the same time, whether or not the Trump administration and their legal experts, in air quotes, that are handling a lot of things uh, would let a French car company merge with an American car company, uh, I think has a lot of trouble in it as well. Uh, so we will see. I, I think the big question, too, to kind of go along with that is whether or not they would bring car manufacturing to the United States in any capacity. Uh, if that's something that Renault and Nissan is able to promise, I think we might have a much better reception to this deal coming through and happening. Uh, but the fruits of this, even if they merged today, uh, we probably wouldn't see a lot of stuff coming out of this partnership until 2023, 2024 at the absolute earliest. So it's a long road ahead. Uh, but uh, it's definitely one that's going to be interesting to follow uh, as things continue to develop. And while we're here kind of talking about French cars, mergers, and other things, uh, PSA does have some news uh, on the merger table as well. Uh, PSA is currently on a tear when it comes to profitability and having turned Opel around and making it a very successful brand in Europe once again. Uh, and they are looking for other brands to acquire to help increase their market share worldwide. And again, PSA is saying that they do want to bring their cars to the U.S. Uh, in the next couple of years. One of the ways that they had at least intended to do that was to partner with Fiat Chrysler and pres presumably use their dealer network to sell uh, a few of their cars a little more easily. Uh, but that deal clearly has fallen through. And so now PSA is apparently talking about acquiring JLR. That would be Jaguar Land Rover. Now, Jaguar Land Rover has had a pretty interesting decade or so uh, bouncing out of, uh, well, I guess BMW, at least in the case of uh, Land Rover, then to Ford, and then out of Ford to Tata. Jaguar had been a Ford property for quite some time, and they again bounced out of that group into Tata's hands. And uh, under Tata's leadership, you know, they got a pretty significant cash flow allotted to them. They redesigned a lot of their core vehicles. Uh, sales are up uh, here in the U.S. They're up in the U.K. Uh, they're up in Europe, but in China, things have really fallen apart. And JLR's overall profitability is uh, not very good. So uh, JLR is potentially on the chopping block at Tata. They've taken up a lot of resources and their investment really hasn't paid off. PSA is saying that they want to have the opportunity to steer the ship in the right way. Uh, they think they can make it profitable. They think they can benefit from acquiring the platforms and technologies from Jaguar and Land Rover. And I think really the big thing here for uh, PSA to acquire would definitely be Jaguar's uh, battery and EV technology, uh, specifically what's in the iPACE. What's going to end up happening out of this, you know, 
again, I think is is tough to say. You know, we we've got the head of JLR saying that this is, has not been talked about. This has not been negotiated. They're denying, 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 and yet other people within Tata are saying that this brand's got to go. They're in big trouble. Uh, so who knows who's telling the truth here? Who knows what's going to actually end up developing? Uh, but I think that is a very interesting scenario, and I think it would be a big benefit to JLR being in a more nimble group like PSA uh, in the long term. And again, I think you know they've got a slightly more premium dealer network that would be a good spot to showcase some uh, Peugeot cars that are a little more premium, or DS in particular, I think would slot in really well at these dealers. So as details kind of continue to emerge with how PSA is going to return to the U.S., I think this is a pretty smart prospect. Uh, but uh, between Brexit, so many other things, tariffs, all that jazz, uh, it's it's tough to say what's going to end up happening uh, six weeks from now, let alone six months from now. So we'll keep you posted as stories continue to develop. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast for Friday, May 31st, 2019. As always, I'm your host, Brett Eisenlake, and you can follow along with me on Twitter, where I talk about cars, politics, and so much else. Uh, that's twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, we make this podcast available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, uh, Apple, Google, whatever podcasts, and so much more. Basically, if you can download a podcast, there's a good chance it's there. So just uh, head on to the search bar, tap salvage title, uh, make sure you subscribe. And if you like what you hear, make sure you're sharing it as well. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, we had a wild racing Christmas weekend this past weekend with Monaco, Indy, and the Coca-Cola 600 down in Charlotte. Uh, hope you got a chance to enjoy some of those races. Uh, a couple of them were pretty darn great. Uh, this weekend, we've got some other interesting races as well, including the Belle Isle Grand Prix in Detroit. Uh, both IMSA and IndyCar take over Belle Isle for the weekend. Uh, they've got a bunch of really cool cars that race around that really cool street circuit. Uh, I'm hoping to head out there and enjoy some racing this weekend. Uh, but if you're in the neck of the woods where it's sunny, the leaves are popping, uh, it's time to bust out that grill, make a couple burgers, have a hot dog, and enjoy yourself. So I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you later.